please stay tuned because it's time for Gray Matters. Well, uh, good evening. It's uh, about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim DeWire. And yeehaw, 99 degrees with the heat index last Tuesday and... 60, 59, something A lot of weird rainstorms and... Every kind of weather possible for this region, except for snow in the last yeah, seven days. Yeah, I mean, 50 degrees. I'd say the temperature's changed uh, 40 degrees in a week. But it's warming up, and it is that time of the season where it goes back and forth. Uh, more on the wind- weather at, at some point. But uh, it is interesting to note, by the way, that this is... It's been sufficiently recorded that this is the warmest... Um, period between May and July in the lower 48 states uh, ever recorded. And there have been a variety of places around the globe uh, with uh, incredibly warm weather. One of the more amusing things, by the way, was Sweden. We can just get rid of the Sweden thing right off the bat. Jim and I are both big fans of the Detroit Red Wings. So Sweden has uh, delivered mightily fine products in the uh, other than the Volvo Swedish players yeah. other than the Volvo to the Detroit uh, the Detroit area they had an election last night that uh, got a remarkable amount of coverage i thought in any event sweden has two peaks this is fascinating two peaks are their two high points mountain wise and the highest point in sweden melted so much ice that it became the number two high point. It's like Twin Peaks. So if you can imagine snow on top of a, like an Alp kind of thing, somewhere way up in the north, uh, there was so much melting that the high point in Sweden officially changed over the summer. How utterly bizarre, but illustrative of the continuing problem uh, with uh, climate change and, of course, the denials about it. continue unabated well of course part of the reason that swedish election was a story was because of the uh seeming rise of some right-wing parties there uh in germany recently we've seen actual street protests uh by uh right-wing nazi type uh, sympathizers that have uh spilled over into brawling Yes, and Sweden is uh, per capita taking in more refugees uh from the violence in the middle east uh, than any other country. Uh, there, of course, has been some refugee flow from uh, the African continent. This was a big issue. They were supposed to get about 25% of the vote. Eh, came up short. They got 18%. But well, that's, the Swedes is a, you know, this sort of a, it's, uh, you know, misleading to say that there's a national personality type, but there's a lot of generalizations sure. that can be made. And by and large, the Swedes are pretty mellow. As people. So uh, you'd think that they'd be less inclined towards right wing agitation than uh, other European personality types, let's say. But, you know, there's always a few bad eggs. Right. And some good ones, too. Yes. Uh, after Nicholas Lindstrom, my favorite Swede is probably uh, Anne Margaret. <laughs> Well, actually, or Anita Anita Ekberg, right? Beowulf, the legendary uh, <laughs> literary hero, was actually a Geet, which is a Swede. So, uh, 
So we'll let the Nick Swedes... Lidstrom and and Beowulf will sort of let them off the yeah, hook. Yeah, and we'll let the Swedes work out their own uh, government situation. Obviously, some sort of coalition agreement is going to happen between the so-called left of center and right of center. These two parties got a little uh, around forty percent of the vote. You mentioned the North African uh, migrants that head in typically to Italy. There was a story last week. I just want to mention in that context uh, that the uh, death rates have uh, increased. Uh, basically, one in nineteen who try to go by boat from North Africa to Italy uh, are drowning. This is uh, triple the death rate of twenty fifteen of people trying to make it up uh, from Africa to Europe. Uh, that's because the Italian government has stopped uh, paying for rescue missions, which in the context of the bigger European picture is in some ways understandable, but it's a, a system that needs to be uh, corrected at some level because this crisis uh, the international refugee crisis is not going to stop anytime soon. You mentioned Syria, but the, so there's a, a military, you know, war-related refugees. There's also political refugees, economic refugees, and uh, we're going to see more and more environmental refugees uh, in the years to come. Indeed, so. and in fact, there have been a lot of historical uh, um, books and analysis about the, the situation in Syria that climate change was one of the contributing factors to this so-called uprising that happened in Syria in 2011, uh, after several other, of course, Arab countries had the so-called Arab Spring. Uh, as we mentioned last week, by the way, it looks like some sort of counteroffensive, or actually, I should say, offensive has uh, started uh, in, uh, in you know, big time in uh the Idlib province uh, with Russia playing a, a key role in terms of bombing and air support for Assad Syrian ground troops. America has about 1,400 troops in Syria. Over the weekend, uh, despite all of the hoopla about uh, Bob Woodward's book and uh, Mr. Anonymous, or as Mr. Trump called him, Mr. Anonymous. He said that twice. <laughs> do, 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 do. Monominous. And I said, yes, you are ominous, dude. <laughs> You're very ominous. Uh, but I, I, it was interesting that in yesterday's Sunday Times, they had a uh, article about how the American army is misleading the American public about what's actually going on in Afghanistan. Shocking, eh? Uh, tomorrow, of course, is the anniversary of 9-11. Yada, yada. But uh, we have spent $840 billion in Afghanistan over and how the many years? 17 years. Yeah. And the media calls this America's longest war. Um, I think they're a little inaccurate on that. I think the Philippines might have might have actually lasted longer and technically speaking. But uh, there's no end in sight for the uh, American situation there. The promising well, news is there are some legitimate efforts at negotiations going on. Unfortunately, there were also uh, stories, two uh, in the last month and a half, of American service members killed by Afghani security forces. Uh, the problem is so bad that the U.S. military has had to institute a new program called Guardian Angel, where personnel from the U.S. Army who are uh, 
tasked with training Afghani personnel have to have their own personal bodyguards so that the servicemen can focus on the task of training rather than who's in the room, what's going on here. That's not a situation where security really has a, a toehold, I would suggest. Right. So um, maybe uh, this is never going to work. Well, and how interesting to see um, photographs of Vladimir Putin meeting with the uh, foreign minister of Iran mm -hmm. and Erdogan, the president of Turkey, uh, dealing with the Syrian problem. Uh, Donald Trump is nowhere to be found. He's missing in action. Uh, not surprising. Uh, meanwhile, of course, we have this sort of bombshell week uh, with uh, an anonymous <laughs> uh, editorial in the New York Times with a lot of finger pointing going on. Uh, just a few things on that. Uh, um, first of all, this is an editorial. This is on the editorial page. This is an opinion. Uh, it's a whistleblower opinion of sorts. And, of course, it hits the nail on the head on a variety of issues. Yeah, in many regards, it was uh, kind of a yes and moment. I mean, everybody who's paying attention has kind of already come to the conclusion that, yeah, people behind the scenes are doing things because this guy's clearly a moron. And at times unstable. In other words, this is, you know, Donald Trump's... Uh, <clears throat> alias in the Stormy Daniels uh, negotiations was uh, David Dennison. <laughs> Dave, why don't you think this over for a second? Why don't you take a chill pill? Mr. Dennison. <laughs> Mr. Dennison. <laughs> so, yes, uh, President uh, Donald, don't call me David Dennison Trump, Um is trying to claim that this involves national security and that Sessions needs... That a crime has been committed. A crime. And I'm like, what crime? This is an opinion on the opinion page of the New York Times, and the only thing it seems to have started is a hashtag movement called, It Ain't Me, Babe. <laughs> it Ain't Me. And probably more circular infighting and conversation recording within the White House. But, I mean, uh, this piece, I, I don't know if we'll ever know what the negotiation history of, like, when the writer of this piece or writers, perhaps, approached the editorial page of the New York Times, how long this has been in the works. We, we just don't know that. But the fact that this appeared in the paper as advanced copies of the Woodward book were being uh, right. read and discussed uh, by people in the press and in the media. And furthermore, on Tuesday, uh, when uh, Trump uh, complained openly, as per usual, uh, to Sessions about, hey, why did you indict Duncan Hunter and Chris Collins? That's going to cost us some easy seats. Well, because they had been accused of serious crimes in which there was enough evidence to proceed with a legal finding. That's why they were indicted. That's how the justice system works. Uh, so within that context, it's, it was a trifecta of face punches. Yeah, and I, I, I suspect that this essay has been sitting in a uh, drawer somewhere for several months uh -huh. and that they sprung this uh, in connection with the Woodward book. I don't think there's the connection is clear to me. I think that one of the most overlooked comments in this essay 
uh, entitled The Quiet Resistance Inside the Trump Administration. The writer, by the way, is just described as a senior official in the Trump administration. I've heard the phrase White House official used quite a bit, but at the bottom of the editorial, it says the writer is a senior official. That is a insufficiently vague term that it could be anybody. Mm. Somebody's already done a computer algorithm claiming that it's Mike Pence because the word lodestar appears. Well, that could be a false lead, exactly. quite frankly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think Mike Pence, he may have the ambition, but I don't think he has the intellectual or ethical wherewithal uh, to position himself thusly. Uh, he just smiles and nods. Right, and he holds Donald's hand. He's not part of any loyal resistance. Uh, he's part of the Donald Trump uh, program. He defends Trump probably as uh, solicitously as any vice president in the history of human civilization. Yeah, there's a bit of a lick spittle to him. <laughs> it's always good to use the greatest in the history of human civilization when talking about Donald Trump. But I think that one of the great little mini paragraphs of this essay is this one. The root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. And I think that that is beyond dispute. <laughs> there are countless examples. There is, you know, it's interesting how North Korea popped up in the news again today. A couple a couple months ago Trump one day announces that he's canceling the talks and the summit with Kim Jong Un uh because of his quote hostility and then the very next day he reverses himself and says, "Oh, the meeting's the meeting's now on." <laughs> so it's this sort of erratic uh thinking, the kind of the incoherence and the utter incompetence of Donald Trump that's troubling, uh, the tweeting is almost starting to hurt him, if it hasn't already. He's boring. There's nothing new there. It's just what is the latest temper tantrum going to be about? And it's pretty predictable. (laughs) I don't watch Fox News enough to know, but he takes many of his talking points right from Fox and Friends. Well, his work day appears to be about two to three hours long. It involves angry morning tweets while watching Fox, wandering in and out of various meetings, uh, pontificating slash rage slash tangenting about whatever said topic is, and then leaving early. Yeah. Well, he's on Ambien. He's also on a hair hair product uh, involving hormonal changes that cause anger and rage. He also seems to be a big fan, as we've, as I've learned from Russian roulette, of nutter butters <laughs> and Tic Tacs. These are items, by the way, when he travels and stays in hotels, <clears throat> like the uh, hotels that he stayed in Russia during the Miss Universe yeah. pageant. Maybe the 400-pound guy in a basement somewhere that he's said, well, maybe they're responsible for what's being laid at Russia's feet. Maybe Trump's that 400-pound guy eating Nutter Butters sitting in a bed full of cookie wrappers. 
putting these conspiracy theories out there. Well, it's it's bizarre because the they the specific uh item from the from the David Korn Michael Iskoff book was that Trump wrote a memo insisting on copious quantities of nutter butters and white tic tacs and that he required unscented soap and lots of hand towels that could not be folded they had to be rolled which in and of itself is it's like the Van Halen rider with no green M&Ms man you know those rolls of cash that Trump has coming out of his pants pockets i guess he hides the cash in the in the rolled up towels but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the brouhaha and this over, you know, Trump treason and what was the other bizarre thing he claimed? Oh, well, treason and that this required a national security investigation. Well, again, he, he conflates. He thinks he's Louis the Sun King. You know, he conflates himself with the state. Uh, an act a critical of him is critical of our great nation. Well, no, those are very separate things. And let's give our... Hats off to Rand Paul, uh, Mr. Reliable Libertarian. He suggested right off the bat that there be lie detector tests administered. And uh, Mike Pence has fallen over himself to say, uh, in a heartbeat, I would take one. I just picked up, uh, happened to stumble across a book <laughs> at Don Treader this week called The Penguin Book of Lies. Yeah, It's a collection of uh, commentaries about lies and lying through history. And I opened it right to the page, Who Uses the Polygraph Test by Paul Ekman. There you go. And... Uh, of course, the polygraph test doesn't detect lies per se, as most people know from watching uh, crime procedurals on television. Uh, it just measures, you know, uh, nervous reactions. It's an investigative tool, but right. it's not a, definitive. It's a pressure sort of a system. You know, how do you perform under this kind of pressure? And I might um, add inadmissible in court. In precisely. Most and illegal to use in 18 states yeah. uh, to force uh, employees to... Uh, be compelled to take one in 18 states. So, Well, that tells you the, uh, about the reliability of it. And it's quite interesting, by the way, that uh, two of our former presidents that were mentioning lie detector tests was one was Richard Nixon during the HUAC hearings. Uh, he asked uh, Whitaker Chambers if he would take a lie detector test. Chambers, of course, who was a professional liar, said he would. Alger Hiss, on the other hand, said, well, I am uncertain of their reliability. I need to look into this more. I kind of understand that it it measures psychological components, i.e. professional liars can pass with flying colors, and they can trip you up sometimes on uh, little uh, things that you may subconsciously not be telling the entire truth about, whatever. It's just ridiculous that that would even be suggested well, maybe by Rand, a libertarian senator from Kentucky. Maybe Rand Paul got the idea from Russia, where he just returned from, right, right. or he's still suffering some undisclosed head injuries from his skirmish with the neighbor over uh, lawn refuse. I still think the final uh, details from that. Are, have not been cleared up to my satisfaction. Well, my recommendation to him is that in, in the future, Mr. Paul, please wear a space helmet when cutting your grass on a power mower in Kentucky. You never know when those <laughs> natives are 
are going to get restless. One other thought on the anonymous piece in the Times. Uh, there's a, kind of a famous cartoon meme that's gone around the Internet and it has been used in different applications as memes are wont to do, as memes are explained to me by my tech-savvy daughter. Uh, and it's just a two-panel cartoon, and in the first panel, it's a cute little dog sitting with a coffee cup at a table in a room filled with flames. And in the second panel is the same picture, but the dog is uh, now saying, everything is fine, as he enjoys his mug of coffee. Uh, a friend of mine posted a picture on Instagram over the weekend of that cartoon, but instead of everything's fine in the little speech balloon, uh, the little dog was saying, I am part of the resistance, <laughs> which I think is a fair critique at this piece. Um, if there are enough people who feel that way, who truly feel that way, why not do the correct procedural thing that the uh, language of the government has set up for and invoke the 25th Amendment? Which, of course, Pence can do on his own. He doesn't need to right, sneak this, around. and Pence could do it on his own. He doesn't need to sneak around. Uh, this might, of course, require Paul Ryan to discover a ball or a spine somewhere about his person. Mitch McConnell, uh, these guys have already pretty much thrown their hands up in the air and have refused to act as uh, their constitutional uh, vow. Precisely. As, uh, should compel them to do, which is to defend and uphold the U.S. Constitution. Clearly, this guy is troubled, shall we say, just to simplistically leave it at that, and incapable of performing the job. If there's enough of these uh, high-ranking senior aides or whatever who feel this way, as Woodward's book shows, as other documents have shown, then isn't the correct path to do this correctly and not just say, well, we're sort of secretly keeping stuff together behind the scenes. To me, that is sort of a way to apologize for the Republican Party's failure to stand up to this guy. And it lets them off the hook, I think, quite Yeah, frankly. and you would think that, you know, based on other admissions in the piece, that this is a sort of mainstream Republican at one point, you know, he, he and I say he because I'm pretty sure it's a he. Uh, says something to the effect of ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed and think that many of his policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. So they buy into the mm -hmm. tax cuts are nirvana theory. Deregulation is good. All deregulation is good. Never mind that half of uh, the regulations that Trump has proposed, particularly related to environmentalism, are actually tied up in court. They haven't even been enacted yet. A good example, by the way, because Barack Obama uh, popped up this week uh, uh, on the campaign trail himself, is the clean power plan that Barack Obama articulated and wrote up as an executive order. Back in 2015, he wrote it up. Attorneys general around the South in the Confederacy and in the Farm Belt, including Scott Pruitt. He was the attorney general of Oklahoma. He filed lawsuits to stop these regulations from going into effect. They never went into effect. 
So Trump now reversing this non-existent regulation right. is hardly deregulating anything. He's simply issuing a new executive order that now is going to be challenged in court mm -hmm. by uh, attorneys general from blue states who are a little alarmed that Trump thinks coal is good, that we need to burn more of it. It's the future. Mercury Internet is, will run on coal. <laughs> is good for you. Never mind that they've linked it to 11,000 unnecessary deaths a year. You know, we don't need those scrubbers. Uh, it's it's all kind of ridiculous that uh, there's so much exaggeration about what these deregulation policies of Donald Trump have actually done or been. Now, the tax cuts, yes, they went through. That is classic Republican orthodoxy. Reagan passed them. Bush passed them. Bush W. The second Bush. What did they do? They redistributed wealth. They exploded the deficit. Mm -hmm. And we had banking crises in the 1980s in the savings and loan. Uh, that required a 200 to $300 billion bailout. And uh, during the Bush presidency, and of course the 10-year anniversary is coming up this week, the uh, Great Recession, a $750 billion bailout to restabilize the banks. And of course, yes, parts of uh, Dodd-Frank have been uh, repealed and now a bank um, that's basically under the too-big-to-fail um, umbrella is a bank that has over $250 billion of assets. And anything under that is, now well, we can go kind of easy on them. It's hurting regional banks and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'd like to point out to these deregulators that during the financial crisis, one of the problems was the infamous bank run. It happened in Washington Mutual. It happened with another North Carolina bank called Wachovia. The FDIC had $55 billion in their bank account. They could not cover the insured deposits of Wachovia and Washington Mutual. Thus, bigger banks that were part of the bailout, quote-unquote, were allowed to buy these banks take over their assets, quote, and liabilities, because a bank has both assets and liabilities, and voila, the system was temporarily stabilized. But, of course, it took a long time to come out of the recession, and Donald Trump wants to claim credit for this massive recovery. No, it's just steady as she goes. We had another report this week. It's great that 200,000 new jobs have been created. Wonderful. But let's not get carried away with what kind of great news that is. Let's remember that 300,000 people every month are eligible to retire uh, and collect Social Security here in the United States. Uh, the labor participation rate is not going up. There are other problems with this, quote, recovery uh, that we've talked about in recent shows. And we won't really know until uh, everybody does their taxes this coming March sure. and April. And one thing that we can guarantee is the federal deficit will explode. Uh, it has already uh, grown considerably. Upcoming years. It's ironic that Donald Trump runs around crowing about the economy when just last month uh, we had the highest trade deficit with China for a month in American history. So even his tariff policies and his trade negotiations that have been 
endless balderdash and pretty much to no effect here and there other than this big problem with steel uh, and aluminum has only created problems with our allies. China is just sort of doing what Asian culture does quite a bit. And this is not a, a racist observation. It's that they're calmer, that they're more patient, that they smile and say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're not going to get too excited about your temper tantrum, Mr. Trump. We're going to play it cool. Long game. Long game. You want to retaliate? You want to add some more tariffs? We can play that game. We're not going to cave in here. We're, we're we, you know, we are buying oil from Iran. We're, you know, we have good foreign relations with many countries that America's foreign relations are rapidly deteriorating under Donald Trump. So, yes, this quiet resistance that's, quote, not of the popular left, unquote, is kind of strange. On the other hand, when when people retire and quit the government, like, say, Gary Cohn or Spicer, Rince Priebus, there have been some big names, what becomes of them? Do they have any credibility when they claim that this is what's going on? They're dismissed as disgruntled. We saw that a couple of weeks ago with uh, Omarosa's book, uh, which, of course, has the same things that Woodward's book mm -hmm. has. It's just that Woodward names names. And we know who his sources are. And we know that Bob Woodward is good at this, that he's a kind of a professional court historian that says, you know, why don't you just tell me what the truth is? I'm here to confirm stuff that I've heard from other sources. Is this what happened? And he's able to convince extra time is uh, going to be available here uh, for Gray Matters here on WCBN. He's able to convince high-ranking people who normally might not talk to a journalist to say, you know what, I want my conscience to be clear. I'm willing to go on the record, but <laughs> only so far. And that's, you know, this is just going to be one more Woodward book. I've read a good chunk of his books. I haven't read them all. Uh, some of the subjects ter don't terribly interest me. And, of course, uh, All the President's Men and The Final Days, the famous Watergate books, uh, made mistakes, got some things wrong. But it's fascinating, by the way, that Deep Throat, um, W. Mark Felt, he publicly denied that he was Deep Throat. For many, many years. And it didn't come out until he well was after, uh, on the verge of death. Yeah. And that secret did remain. Uh, so this person, I believe, is somebody in the Republican Party mainstream that has a future in the, in the Republican Party, either as a candidate or as a cabinet official, that type of thing, a bigwig. They're going to land on their feet, even if they're exposed. And... Uh, they're not going to have to deal with any shame. They're going to be able to say, I told you so. I don't think anybody's put Nikki Haley's out there, name out there, but yeah. she certainly fits that category that you're talking about. She does, and I, and, you know, it, it, I suspect that it's a male, but uh, she's got future political ambitions herself, and she certainly clashed with some Trump officials from time to time on foreign policy and some of their uh, strange sexism. Uh, you know, this 
basically just confirms what we've already known from other books like Michael Wolff's book uh, that came out in uh, January, February of this year. Um, so I think that the effectiveness of this editorial is what this is about. If this had appeared on the front page of the New York Times or the Washington Post, Trump 